Hello and welcome back to the Start the Glamping Business podcast. Uh, today we have a little bit of a different one for you today. Uh, we don't have a site owner, but what we do have is Irene Jones, who is a program manager at Marshall and Sterling Insurance. Uh, they have a particular focus on outdoor hospitality. And what we're going to focus on today uh, is the American with, Americans with Disabilities Act, otherwise known as the ADA. Uh, how that affects operators, why you should care about it, um, and you know the potential for issues if you don't comply uh, with the act. It's probably not something that is, on, is at top of mind for every operator, but it's something that absolutely should be, um, and you should bear in mind as we will find out today. So before we dive into, into the ADA, um, Irene, I'd, I'd love you to tell us a little bit about yourself, your backstory, and how you got into this business. Nick, thanks for having me. Um, so... I love the outdoors, and um, I am very entrepreneurial. I went to Rutgers University, and I studied history, so that naturally got me into insurance, right? Um, actually, what happened is I was working in a business. My husband and I had a business um, that was very outdoors-oriented, and I knew that I was going to have to diversify and get into a field, a career, as I was uh, coming out of university. Um, and he said to me, you know, you really love people and you love the way things work. I bet you would like insurance. And that's how I got involved in the insurance industry. Um, again, I've always been very entrepreneurial. I, I like to hear the story of how people are doing things and I love the outdoors. So I started, um, you know, started off actually doing like home and auto insurance. And before long, I got recruited to work an insurance carrier that did children's camps and bed and breakfasts. And so I learned about dealing with hospitality. I learned about working with uh, businesses that were in the outdoors and the things that could happen when you have young people in the outdoors. And before long, um, when I was at Markel uh, Insurance Company, they asked me to develop a nature center program. And that was really interesting because it was all about um, organizations that were orienting people and adults to be out in nature um, and all the different things that, that could possibly happen. That's how we think about it on the insurance side. Um, fast forward, uh, in 2012, I joined Marshall and Sterling Insurance. Marshall and Sterling Insurance uh, was founded in 1859, so we're over 150 years old. It's an employee-owned company, um, and it's really got a nice entrepreneurial uh, spirit. You know, the what they said to me is, we want you to come in and really focus on um, working within a specific vertical, within a specific niche. And we don't want to just do insurance. We want to be proactive of all of the risks that the business segment is looking at and how we can help people prevent harm from occurring. So sort of getting out in front of that. And with... The first week I was at Marshall and Sterling, I met a woman who owned and operated a campground and canoe livery on the Upper Delaware River. And she said, what do you think about campgrounds? I said, hmm, now I'm thinking, here I am, nature center person, um, bed and breakfast, uh, children's camps. It's like perfect, right? So I looked into it and it was a wonderful opportunity. And we've been doing um, outdoor hospitality ever since. And so, of course, we've gotten involved in the glamping industry, but over the course of over a decade, we've taken a lot of pride in listening to what the trends are that um, the outdoor hospitality industry is facing. Um, what are their opportunities? How are they going to build their businesses? And then also, what are some of the obstacles that they're facing? What are common claims? And um, we've built not just insurance, but risk mitigation, and we call that our total program. 
And certainly the Americans with Disabilities Act and some of the issues around it have played into that. And we'll get into some of those details today. Yeah, and, and I'm sure we could we could probably have a whole separate episode or two on just ensuring glamping sites in general. Uh, and I'm sure we will do that one day. Um, today is not that day, but I do want to just before we go into the ADA, um, just to kind of whet the appetite, I suppose. How, how does insurance work in, in, let's say, the glamping industry? You know, are you insuring the units? Are you insuring the people, the business? You know, what's what's the what's the general overview of, of, of insuring a glamping business? Well, I, I like that your little segment there because what um, for any budding uh, clamping operator, thinking about what you own and what you do is part of your responsibility in the partnership with insurance. So, if you have buildings or if you have units, that those physical um, that physical building or physical unit should be insured for physical damage. If you have people coming, then you have, um, you know, you have responsibilities to them and you can be open to commercial general liability insurance or lawsuit claims. Um, if you're dealing with discrimination, um, you know, people could say when hiring, you could say you're discriminating against me. Or as a guest, someone could say you're discriminating against me. That might be another type of insurance. So, um, there's a broad range, um, and I would say just the big picture is to think about you should know what you're doing and then have a conversation so that you can um, not lose what you've built to either a fire or a lawsuit. Yeah, we, we, we definitely will do an episode on insurance one day. Um, but moving on to, to the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, could you just outline the general concept of the ADA, what its purpose is and what its scope is? Sure. So I, I think a good way to think about this is that if you go back to the 1970s or 1980s in the United States and you wanted to do such a basic thing as mail a letter at a post office and you happen to be in a wheelchair, there, there, there might be 30 steps for you to go up to get into that post office. Access to um, you know, things that you need to do for your, to basically operate in life was not afforded to you. So in that context, um, in the United States in 1991, um, the Americans uh, with Disabilities Act was passed. It's a federal civil rights law. That means it applies in all 50 states in the U.S. And it's designed to um, have standards in place for design of buildings and uh, so that they're accessible and also uh, to make um, policies and procedures around uh, access uh, to people with disabilities. Um, so that there are ways that you can welcome and be inclusive to anyone who has a disability. Um, so it really has two areas. One is how you design, like in, when we talk about like the glamping resorts, it's going to apply to you because you're a place of public accommodation. So if, um, you know, you have a business, even though, yeah, I know people will say to me all the time, like I was at the Glamping USA um, Expo, we were talking about this topic and we said, well, we're a private business. You are a private business, but you know, the public can come and book at your glamping resort. So you're a place of public accommodation. So when you design your resort, your, your architect is going to guide you through um, setting up your buildings and your premise that you're in compliance. Um, but you also have to think beyond just designing your resort, you have to think about what your policies and procedures will be and how you can be inclusive and welcoming to people so that they um, don't feel discriminated against. Um, and I think what's important to think about is that with disabilities, there are disabilities that are visible and 
you know, very easily recognizable. You, you know, we think, uh, you know, somebody in a wheelchair or on crutches or um, someone who is blind and is walking with a cane. But there's also non-visible disabilities. And, you know, and a disability is anything that is going to impede your activities in daily living. Um, so um, what's important, I think, for everyone to know is that think about your own medical. It's private. You know, you don't. I don't have a right to say, you know, what's wrong with you, Nick? Like, if you present to me, I'm the glamping resort owner, and you present to me that you want to come glamping at my resort, and you're making a request because you have a disability, I just need to accept what you tell me as the host or as the employee at face value and, and be welcoming and accommodating. I think that's the biggest thing. So, um, again, federal civil rights law it applies to our industry, and you have to address your design, and you've got to also address um, your policies and procedures. Yeah, and there's those two buckets we will dive into um, in, in a little while. But just before we do that, um, and first of all, it goes without saying that um, catering for people with disabilities is the right thing to do, regardless, like full stop. Um, that, you know, that does go without saying. So we're going to pull aside the kind of ethical considerations for, for this episode because we want to dive into the, to the legal implications um, for operators. So I'm sure this varies, but in general, what are the, the, the risks that operators um, are facing if they don't comply with the ADA? Well, let me tell you a story that really illustrates this well. Actually, um, kind of goes into the moral aspect of it, too. When we were first starting out creating um, our insurance program at Marshall and Sterling, there was a couple who gave us access to their campground. It was a beautiful campground up in the Catskills. We wanted to film videos, and they were very welcoming to us. So we wound up having a really good relationship with these campground owners. And, um, you know, you never forget the people who help you start out, right? So a few years later, I was at a trade show, and they came up to me in tears. I said, what's going on? They said, we're getting sued. We're getting sued by someone who said we discriminated against them because we had a disability. And they said, we would never do that. You know, like... We, we welcome all people. We want to work with everyone. We want to accommodate them. They were so upset because it went so against their values. And the lawsuit that they got is really what's called a tester lawsuit. And this happens a lot. Uh, what happens is, um, in their particular case, and there's different versions of this, um, there was someone who was going out and going on every... They went to New York State. And then they, in alphabetical order, looked up the companies that were filed um, as, uh, that had campground in their name. And they would go on every single website and see if there was something they could find that was not Americans with Disabilities Act compliant. And in this case, it had something to do with communication and accessibility for um, those, you know, whether you're, uh, like, if you're blind. So if you can hover over the website and hear what it, a description of the picture and, and a reading of the text. So it had to do with communication uh, technicality. And so this someone sued um, this couple. They had The person who sued them had never been at the campground, weren't planning to use their facilities, but they just sent out this lawsuit. And these loss, tester lawsuits are common, right? But it's lawsuits are used as a way to enforce the law because... The ADA falls under the Department of Justice. So if you go, there's another way, another thing you can do too, like if you go to a hotel, say, and there's no ramp, there's no accessible rooms, there's nothing that is going to allow for, say, 
your mom who's in a wheelchair to get in and out and to safely use the bathrooms, you can file a complaint with the Department of Justice and they'll look into it and they will find that institution. But the reality, and that happens, but the reality is, is that um, civil enforcement is just as common, in fact, more common. Um, and the tester lawsuits are, are prevalent out there. So those are the two ways. It can be you know, through the Department of Justice or it can be a civil lawsuit. But um, even if your heart is in the right place, you've got to be proactive about um, putting policies and procedures and training in place. Hi everyone, Nick from Glamper Tech North America here and I've just got a very quick message to announce some extremely exciting news. Since launching in July 2022, Glamper Tech North America has made a name for itself in the North American glamping industry. We've consulted on over 40 glamping projects, accumulated over 47,000 podcast downloads and plays and we're now ready to take the next step. And with that, we're absolutely delighted to announce that we're beginning the process of developing our own glamping projects. We want you to be involved. There are more details to come, but for now we're taking expressions of interest from prospective investors. We're so excited to get this going. It's been a long time coming and we can't wait to get you involved. So all you have to do is fill out the form in the description of this episode and we'll be in touch with more information very soon. We can't wait to hear from you and we'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Yeah, and that, that policies and procedures, which uh, you know is, is what we're going to focus on over the site design, um, as, as will become apparent. I think you told me a story once of how um, an employee got, um, the, the way an employee acted basically made the, the whole business liable for, um, you know, for, for a lawsuit. And, and I'm sure we can get into that. But just before we do get onto that, the the first bucket, site design, um, obviously this is generally more for, for architects and designs and, and things, but obviously you have a base level of knowledge on it. So could you just give us a, a bit of an insight into, um, you know, how the ADA interplays with uh, designing a glamping site, for example, and what um, what operators should be bearing in mind when they are designing the layout of the site and their units. Sure. So um, the the standard is that um, facilities, whether you're building new or you're um, renovating, um, you, there's a requirement to make them readily accessible. So when you're working with an architect, they're going to understand these things, and you should be having an ongoing conversation about um, that. Um, and there's different standards, just to go a little bit into it, what happened is in 1991, um, when the act was passed, there were certain um, design standards that were set forth. And then in 2010, those were revised. So um, for those of you who might be buying, an, um, say you're buying land that has an existing building on it, and then you're going to add into your resort, altering the building, it, the design standards, you know, you're going to go back and look, when was the building originally built? And, but, and then... Um, when you have the new uh, construction, you want to really consult with, with someone who understands, you know, how many units you have to have of this and what you do in the different recreational and areas. For example, there are standards for pools, there are standards for picnic areas, there are standards for boat ramps. Play, you know, all of these things are things we could see at a clamping resort. So um, you've got to build that into your renovations and your design. Um, and if you're, the other thing that people will often ask me is like, how can I access this information? There's a really good website called ada.gov and you can look up the design standards there if you just want to reference, like say you're thinking about putting in a boat ramp and you just want to get download that information. So that's a good resource. 
yeah one thing i would say on that as well is it's easier to communicate that you're ada compliant in in terms of site and unit design than say policies and procedures because you can have on your website you can show a picture of say you know a wider door frame with a ramp um and and there's a real aside from that from the ethical consideration there's a real financial incentive to do that as well um way back i mean this is probably about two years ago now uh when this podcast was focused on the uk ramping market um i think there's a few uk listeners still listening so thank you for that um but but we, we interviewed a, a uk glamping site owner just a small local site um and they they their site was basically tailored to people with disabilities and they weren't doing it i don't think they were doing it around legislation i don't know if there is an equivalent of the ada in the uk but it was more you know there's definitely a, a moral reason for why they wanted to do it they did want to cater for people um who aren't usually catered for um, but but also it was a it was a good business move because they, their customer attention was incredible just because people with disabilities who aren't usually as catered for um, just knew they could come back knew they'd be looked after and on their website and you know once the guest stays they can see that the, the procedures are in place to to care for these people but um, on the website you know in terms of attracting a guest for the first time they just made a big deal about uh, wide door frames um, shower rooms uh, ramps in in the units uh, and it. it, it I mean, it's it's a kind of a I suppose you describe it as a USP, but um, there is a real financial benefit to uh, being compliant and promoting that compliance um, that goes beyond just oh we've we've passed all the te- you know the, the checks we actually do care for these people we want we want to kind of provide them the the, the, the vacations and the holidays that, that that you know they might usually be um, not be able to take so I think that's important to emphasise. Um, I mean, moving on to, to the policies and procedure bucket of the ADA, and this this is your real area of specialty. So I'm looking forward to digging into this. Could you just give us just the initial overview of you know what 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 you mean by policies and procedures uh, in regards to the ADA? Your goods, your services, your facilities, your accommodations. Um, so um, you're required to actually um, change. You can't you can't screen out people. You can't if someone says, "Oh, I want to come clamping here." And, you know, I have a disability, you can't say, no, you can't come. You can't automatically screen them out. But you also um, have to make reasonable modifications, and that's the standard, reasonable modifications to your policies and procedures. So, for example, if you have a no pet policy, it would be reasonable that someone who has a service animal, which is not a pet, um, can still stay in your uh, cabin or your, your or what have you. That's a reasonable modification. And you can't charge either. So um, say you, let's just use that same stream there. Say you allow pets, you allow people to camp with their dogs, but you charge $25 per night. If someone says, I'm coming and I have a service dog, you cannot add a fee because that's no longer, that's not a pet. That's a service animal. And you, you can't charge for someone to be treated the same way anyone else would. Um, so you have to make reasonable modifications um, to your policies, to your practices, to your procedures. Um, another example might be um, making reservations. So I think one of the things that is um, challenging is there's no black and white in this. Like you can't get a stamp that your your policies and procedures have been modified and everything. It's kind of like, what do you need at that time? So if someone calls up and they say, hey, I look through your website, love the fact that you're showing the wide paths that uh, now I know that I can use my wheelchair on. I love the fact that you have a zero entry pool. 
Um, but I'm looking to see which of your accommodations is going to meet my specific needs. And the room pictures just don't show exactly what I need. Um, you should be able to modify how you take that reservation. Okay, how can I accommodate you is the language that you would use. And they might say, okay, well, I need you to go down to the cabins and take pictures of where the wall plugs are in relation to my bed. And, you know, and they don't have to tell you why. You know, the, the, the uh, person might say, because I need to plug in a breathing machine in order for me to breathe through the night. But they don't have to tell you that. They just, all you have to do is say, can I accommodate you? And how can I accommodate you? And then fill the request. So making those um, those modifications to how you're working with people, make you know, asking how you can work with them um, is extremely important. Um, I think that when you're thinking, and this kind of goes a little bit into design, but thinking back about access um, in relation to what's available to you. Um, Think from the road in, um, you drive in, is there a handicapped place to park? Are the, um, are the pathways wide enough for me to get around? Um, is there, uh, are there wide doorways? Are the bathrooms, that's the next standard, are the bathrooms um, accessible? Can I get into the different facilities like the pool, et cetera? Um, so that's important. Um, Reservations is very important for our industry. Um, you want to be able to set up your reservation system so that it's plain to see as much as possible what your accessible features are and think broadly on that. Um, your website should have um, accessible features that should be designed by your web designer. Again, a lot of this is going back to being aware, so when you're setting up your website, you're talking with Straight Web Solutions or whoever it is that you talk to inside or perks or you know, all the, the good um, uh, vendors who are out there, they know how to set up the website so they're accessible, but you should have them explain the features. How are you um, communicating with people who are blind or who are deaf? Um, how, you know, how are we highlighting the features of our um, of our uh, glamping resort. And then there's further requirements. You have to be able to, um, to have it that someone can reserve an accessible uh, cabin or room. And if someone reserves that room, if they check off that they need it, then you have to make sure that you indeed keep that for them and that you don't replace it with somebody else for somebody else. And, and you can't rent out that room to somebody who you have to hold it um, for someone who needs an accessible room up to the point where you're full. So say you have 150 um, clamping units at your resort. You know, I don't know what the exact ratio would be, but just say you had 10 that were accessible. You know, you, you would rent out the other 140 next um, and then um, and hold the 10. But if they weren't filled and it was 4th of July weekend and everybody wanted to come, you can still, at that point, you can rent them out. So does that make sense? It's like, I think the reservations is a big one. The website is, is huge. Communication is big. Um, and, and, you know, the other thing that comes up a lot 
it, you don't think about it when you're building, believe me, it's going to come up for you, is service animals. Dealing with service animals is a big, hot issue because of a few things. First of all, people go on vacation with their dogs. And there is a distinction now between pets, emotional support animals, and service animals. So I think that you, it would be helpful for people to understand service animals in reference to outdoor hospitality. So service animals are only a dog or a mini horse. Why a mini horse, you ask? Because highly trained service animals, um, German shepherds, they live for 10 or 12 years. I'm a huge German shepherd person. It's heartbreaking when they die. Can you imagine how terribly you would feel if that animal was your lifeline? Mini horses live for 40 years. They're super smart. They're the same size as German shepherd. So mini horses and, 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 um, and service dogs are service animals. They have to be trained um, to help you with a specific task in relation to your disability. And that's the only requirement. They don't get a certificate. They don't have to wear a service uh, tag vest, uh, service dog vest. Um, there's no requirement to show proof of a service animal. If someone comes and they say, hey, I have a service animal, the only two questions you can ask are, is this service animal required because of a disability? And the other question you can ask is, what task has it been trained to do? So what happens, and I can tell you as prospective owners, this will happen to you, so train your staff. What happens is that um, a lot of people who run campground operations, and I've taught many classes on this, tell me, everybody lies. They all say it's a service animal. Well, you know what? You got to take them at their word. It may be an emotional support dog that doesn't really have any training that's just keeping somebody calm. It may be a pet, but if they're saying it's a service animal and you ask them those questions, just move forward. Where I've seen lawsuits come up is where people get into like a, this sort of conflict over it. And people, you know, folks know their rights. Um, so you alluded to that story I was telling about a woman trying to check into a hotel. Um, woman goes to check in, into a hotel. She appears to not have a disability. So she's got a non-visible disability. She's got her service animal with her. She says, hey, I'm here to check in. And so the guy behind the counter says, okay, great, but we have a, a strict no pets policy. She goes, oh yeah, I understand, but this is my service animal. And he said to her, um, yeah, you're not fooling me. That's not a service animal. There's nothing wrong with you. And she said, I, she just like froze and she knew, she knew the law. And she said, would you do me a favor? She was a Southern woman. Would you do me a favor? Would you, would you have your manager come down here? So the manager came down and he said, please tell me what happened. And he got red in the face. He's like, cause he knew, he knew at that point that they had violated the ADA and that he hadn't trained his employee properly. So he just quietly turned to his employee and said, you know what, please prepare her room. Um, and he said, would you allow me to buy you breakfast in the morning? And she said, yes. So the next morning they had breakfast and he said, he apologized and he said, I didn't do my job right. I didn't train my employee, um, to be welcoming and to follow the rule of the law. And we're going to change that. So I don't want that to ever happen to you. Um, and I think that one of the most important things that you can do is if you're listening to this podcast, you're already ahead of the curve, right? Like start to understand um, what you need to do to be welcoming to people with disabilities 
and a lot of that includes language of like, how can I accommodate you? Um, other things that I hear that are can be important are things as simple as speaking directly to the person who has a disability, not to their spouse, like what's wrong with her? Well, first of all, don't ask that. But that's <laughs> really rude in the first place, right? It's just basic hospitality. But you should see the things. I mean, people come up to me and tell me stories after I teach these classes at conferences that, you know, it's like we can learn from these stories. Um, so speak directly to the person um, and be accommodating. Ask, how can I accommodate you? Um, so the service animals is a big thing. Um, another thing that will come up a lot with policies and procedures is, um, and, uh, like golf carts and getting around because we have such big campuses. So say you have a, a resort and you're not going to allow golf carts, but if I call you up and I say, Hey, listen, I have an ambulatory disability and I haul my golf cart with me on the back of my camper and I want to come and stay at this site. Um, you really have to accommodate them. I mean, you, if you're like everything is super steep um, and, and it wouldn't be safe for you to drive a golf cart, of course, you can You can say like, we don't have a place where it would be safe to have a golf cart. Um, but for the most part, you know, you have to kind of think about, well, maybe there is a place we could put them that would be safe for them to go. You have to find a way to accommodate people. So um, transportation around, setting things up, um, reservations, dogs, websites, making sure that you have the recreational places um, in line, you know, like the, your pool, your the pool is a big thing that comes up a lot. I know it's a design feature, but um, there's been a lot of those tester lawsuits around pools. So those are the biggest glamping areas that I see um, that come up. Hey, Glampatech listeners. This is Jacob from EJH Distribution with a quick message about our company. EJH Distribution is a premier provider of event structures, glamping accommodations, and much more. We're a distributor for many manufacturers, one of them being Dewar Tenton, a company that's been around for over 75 years. You may have seen some of their products at the glamping show the past couple years, one of them being the Oak. The Oak is a tunnel tent made of polycotton canvas with an aluminum frame. It sleeps between four to six guests and is perfect for a family unit on your campsite. We also offer other products like geodomes, these are also made of a breathable polycotton canvas with a large bay window and a beautiful front awning piece. One of our other premier manufacturers is Tubo Spain, which is a cylindrical modular glamping accommodation that provides 360 panoramic views and turnkey options. Perfect for places that have big open skies where you can enjoy a night view. We also provide event structures from Creative Structures in the Netherlands, which offer unique dome structures which are modular and can be built in a matter of hours perfect for weddings, hosting spaces, and much more. If any of these products have piqued your interest, please feel free to reach out to us at sales at EJH Distribution or give us a ring at 587-987-0115. We'll be more than happy to help you with your project. There'll also be a link to our brochure, our virtual showroom, and much more in the description below. Thank you for your time and hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Yeah, and, and just on, on that, um... The service animal story i think that what's really important to emphasize there is uh the owners are not the sole representation of the business um a lot of people here you know who, who want to, to start their own glamping business they might be looking to, to do everything on the ground but, but a lot will be looking to step back at some point uh certainly the vast majority will be employing staff of some kind whether it's cleaning staff or reception staff or whatever so um 
yeah, getting getting across that point of you have to have these policies in place. You have to have your staff trained up correctly, um, because the last thing you want is uh, a member of staff causing you a you know a potentially big lawsuit. Um, even if if you were the one that was dealing with the, with the issue, you would have you would have been compliant. So um, that's one thing to to to, to really bear in mind. Um, now, obviously, you have an incredible wealth of knowledge about the ADA, but your day job is um, insurance. So I'm presuming there is um, a way that these two two kind of concepts converge. So could you just tell us a little bit about how the insurance element blends in with, with ADA compliance? Sure. So let's go back to the story of my friends who were being sued because of their, um, their website. Um, that's a discrimination lawsuit. Someone was saying, you're discriminating against me because I have a disability. I couldn't have access to your services. Um, that type of discrimination is discrimination like that is not covered under your basic business policy. Business policies typically cover general liability for negligence and property insurance for structures. Um, there is a separate policy that you can purchase. Um, it's called um, Employment Practices Liability with Third-Party Coverage. That's the technical name. Um, employment Practices covers you for discrimination against employees, and third parties would be like your clients, so your campers or your clampers, your clients or your third parties. So you can purchase EPLI with third-party coverage for discrimination. Um, Incidentally, this is a good time to mention that there are ADA requirements for employees as well. Um, and certainly um, disability is a protected class, just like race, gender, age, um, et cetera, religion and um, ethnic background. Um, so um, employment practices, liability um, and the ADA go hand in hand. Um, and that would cover you for the camper lawsuits. Um, and what's important there is even if you're not guilty, you're required to have a defense. And the defense is typically what costs a lot of money. So if you purchase that insurance, the defense is included. And then if there's a judgment against you, it pays out for the judgment as well. Um, other insurance that could um, also come up, uh, other insurance that could also come up, um, say if a service dog bit somebody on the law, on, on site and your resort was brought into the lawsuit um, because you're seen as the deep pocket. Um, liability insurance would defend you. Um, and that's part of your business insurance that I mentioned. Um, another area I've seen is um, if, say, you have a cabin on site and it burns to the ground um, and it has to re be rebuilt to code, um, there's uh, property insurance will have ordinance uh, uh, endorsements in there that allow you to build up to code for ordinance and law in your region, including ADA. So a concrete example of that, I had someone who bought a, a property, they had an old cabin on the property, it was completely serviceable, it burnt to the ground. When we rebuilt that $25,000 cabin, it cost $50,000 to rebuild, to bring it up to code and make it ADA compliant. So um, there are different areas that it can kick in. And when you, you've, you've obviously seen a lot of operators um, you've insured a lot of operators. Is there one thing that you could point to that is the most common or the biggest mistake that operators make when it comes to the ADA? I would say thinking it doesn't, thinking that the ADA doesn't apply to them or just not prioritizing it as something to address or organize. 
um, or train people on. So to flip that question around, what? because I always like to think about, like, that's my whole thing, how can we be proactive? I think that as you're doing all these things to set up your glamping resorts, um, document what you're doing with your architect, what you're doing with your web designer, have that in a folder labeled ADA, and then document what you're doing with your policies and procedures in your training. And then as, as you have employee orientation, either individual or with a group, always have something in there and have a record that you've done that. So if there's 10 people in the room, you have all their names, you have the date and that this was one of the topics that you went to, into in um, orientation or training that day. So that you have, um, you have a paper trail, you have documentation, you have your own way of doing things, you have your own way of training people. And way, the way that will help you is that if you're ever sued and you're sitting on the, on the, the stand, you can pull out that paper and say, yes, this is what we did actually. I have documentation for that. And that helps quite a bit. Um, because it's not black and white. And that is what frustrates park owners and clamping resort owners the most, is that you can't get this rubber stamp that says, hey, you're compliant. It's just you can only show that you have a process on, and that you're you know, working to be in compliance as reasonably as possible. On the other hand, that helps us to not have to do this to be perfect, so you can look at it as a plus. Okay, and, and if I was to ask you, for one piece of advice that you would give to prospective or existing operators in regard to ADA compliance, would it be to, to, to keep a, a log of what you're doing to, um, to, to comply? Yeah. I mean, I think the, that would be the first thing is gather everything that you're doing to comply, keep a log of it. And that also allows you to be like, Oh, what are we not doing? And maybe you just, you know, pick a few things, pick two or three things to address, especially in the off season and get after it. Well, thank you, Irene. This has been great. Um, I think people will have learned more from this single episode than the vast majority just because it is such a, a concept that, that is unfamiliar to, to, to a lot of people. Um, so I'm sure people will have questions for you. I'm sure people will want you to ensure them. Um, so if someone does want to reach out in whatever capacity, how can they go about doing that? Really easy. MarshallSterling.com forward slash campgrounds. Fantastic. Well, Irene, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I'm sure you'll be, your phone will be buzzing with inquiries after this, um, but thank you for your time. Uh, it's been very educational. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Nick. And um, I appreciate you being on and all of the glamping operators being welcoming to people with disabilities as well. Thank you. Thank you.